You're listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. This episode features audio from a previously aired live video webcast. Welcome to Sagas and Sass Season 3. I'm Tara, along with fellow hosts Nick, Jonathan, and Nami. This episode will cover part three of Senlin Ascends, the first installment in Josiah Bancroft's Books of Babel series. If you're watching live, join us in the chat or after the fact, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Sagas and Sass to continue the conversation. And just a reminder, the views expressed in this show are those of the host's individuals and do not necessarily represent the show as a whole. All right, it is time to dive back into Senlin Ascends. We left Thomas Senlin escaping from the baths on an airship, one that happens to be filled with women who are on their way out to be, well, sold in New Babel. Upon his arrival there, Senlin immediately bungles things by signing his name into the New Babel register, and not a new false one, which would have been kind of smart. And because of his idiocy, he is immediately chased down by an Amazon-like woman. And to make matters worse, she doesn't even catch him until after he stumbles into a drug den and accidentally gets high on a opium-like drug called Crumb. Evelyn awakes in the presence of the Amazon, who is named Irene, and none other than Finn Gull, who he met in the basement. He was that dude who had all his stuff. Thankfully for Evelyn, though, it doesn't seem to be as dire of a situation as we think. Finn actually offers to hire him to manage his books, and Senlin definitely needs the money. So he reluctantly strikes a deal, only for Senlin to find out that Adam, the young man who robbed him back in the basement, also works for Finn. And that's how Finn got his bag. What? Senlin is forgiving, definitely stupidly so. And the two actually become friends, Senlin and Adam, not, not Senlin and Finn. Time passes, it's been like, what, five months, something like that? Senlin is doing a great job working for Finn. And in exchange for fighting lessons from Irene, he starts teaching her how to read as well. Eventually, Adam finally tells Senlin his own story. That being that he came to the tower with his sister, Valita, after their father died. He signed what he thought was a work contract, but it turned out that he was duped and owed his employer money instead. This was back in the parlor. He loses Valida to a man named Rodion, who runs a brothel in New Babel. And while Valida has so far only had to perform as an acrobat in Rodion's show, that man is constantly holding it over Adam's head that he can sell Valida's virginity anytime he wants. So Adam, who in the course of his ascent through the tower has been branded and lost an eye, has been working hard to free his sister. But it's losing hope because, well, isn't it obvious that the tower works against people like him and Valida and Senlin and so on and everyone? Of course, Senlin is still itching to go after Maria, so he decides he's going to steal a ship and recruit some of Fengal's men to sail it. Is his plan good? Probably not. And it doesn't help that in the midst of everything, the commissioner's executioner, the Red Hand, shows up for the painting that Senlin stole, which we all know Senlin doesn't have. What he does have is Ogier's key gun, which he uses to shoot the red hand, but the executioner escapes. 
the upside is that this leads Sinlin to discover that Ogier actually stowed his prize painting behind the one of Maria. So he did have it all along. <laughs> and he includes with it a note saying to keep it safe because it is the key to the tower and to happiness. And I believe also to danger. Not that happiness is going to find Senlin or vice versa anytime soon, because on uh, because to top it all off, Fingal finds out that Senlin is teaching Iron to read and does not like. Between this, the encounter with the Red Hand, and Rodian's escalating threats about Belita, it's obviously past time to get the F out of New Babel. Except that when Senlin finally decides which ship to steal, Edith of all people shows up to throw a wrench in his plans. Edith, who is now first mate on a pirate airship and boasts a super cool mechanical brass arm. Senlin figures that now the better option is to steal the pirate airship, the Stone Cloud, because why not? Edith can even be part of his crew, right? For some reason, somewhat misplaced loyalty perhaps, Edith agrees to help him. But this is Senlin and they are in the tower, so obviously things can't just happen as planned. Instead, Senlin is summoned to Finn's house, a little spot of paradise in New Babel where he lives with his wife and children. Who could have seen that coming? Now, before leaving his room, Senlin has insisted on putting on his coat in which the key gun and the paintings are concealed. He considers shooting Finn, but decides against it because, you know, kids and all don't want to see them getting their father killed. Instead, he makes his way to the port, where chaos quickly ensues when Rodian shoots the pirate ship captain. Senlin finds out that Adam was the one who betrayed him to the commissioner. Senlin shoots Rodian. The commissioner arrives. A crate of crumb is broken open. Everyone gets really high as fuck, and Iron is critically injured. And yet somehow Senlin, Edith, Adam, and Valletta escape they sail away on the stone cloud, presumably to help Senlin rescue Mara, which at this point, Senlin is more worried than ever about the state he will find his wife in. All right. So there was a lot of uh, escalation in the last part of this book. I certainly didn't expect when I first read it, obviously I did on reread, but I didn't expect when I first read it that Senlin would go essentially into business with Finn uh, Gaul. So uh, I don't know. What do you guys think? Thoughts, thoughts on thoughts on how this began and and how it progressed. I guess. Well, it made I mean, sense. He didn't have a choice. Yeah, he needed money. Right. I was trying to figure out when he was finally going to stop and get himself some goddamn money, and I'm happy that he did because Loki. I was imagining that like the next book was going to be Sinlin in the walls as a hob because he forgot he had to pay for shit. And I well, like, and when, when I say I was surprised that they went to business together, obviously Senla didn't have a choice. What I mean is I was shocked that Finn would want him. Yeah, you and know? he clearly, like, really likes him because it's not the only, like, then later when Finn finds out that he's, he didn't steal money from Finn. He gave the, his employees a raise without telling Finn about mm -hmm. it. And Finn was pissed about it because even though overall Sinlin has made him money, Finn's like, I need every dollar because I'm going to buy my way out of all of this. Uh, but even after that, he's like, well, you know, if you do these things, it'll be fine. Whereas like the last person, apparently Eren like strangled and threw over the tower. Yeah, no, it, it's kind of interesting, actually, because as much as Fingal, like, Steve, like, is very much presented as, like, this, like, cutthroat and savage dude as, like, everybody in the tower obviously has to be to survive, he does mm -hmm. seem to have a soft spot for Senlin because that whole carriage ride makes you think that, like, obviously Senlin has main character 
armor and stuff. But the fact that the way he gets out of it is because Finn was going to let him get away with it if he made it right and take from his salary instead of having Iron kill him. And like what I would have thought would have mm -hmm. happened if Finn didn't like him, which is what I assumed, was that that was going to be the moment where Iron was officially going to switch her loyalties and join him. That's what I thought was going to happen there. Mm -hmm. I never expected Finn would be like, you're still the best man for this job. You're still like the only person I can trust with this, which kind of is funny because I think this is the first time that Senlin has straight up actually betrayed someone in the book so far. And he did. And I'm like, hmm, good for you, bud. Go. <laughs> well, first of all, I would never have described what he did as betraying him. I think no, no, no. At the very end, the oh, at the end, yeah. like the ship, all of yeah. that. The not the finances. You got you got to pay your goddamn workers, or they're gonna goddamn riot. <laughs> well, I'm not in the tower. Maybe <laughs> I don't know that they have uh, <laughs> they have much of a choice in matters when it comes to like how much they make or whatever. Um, well, that's Finn Gold's theory on it so yeah yeah and, and played I, by peter dinklage in the movie <laughs> yeah seriously they, I, I reading these books is like they could easily make this into a show um because mm -hmm. it would involve some some really crazy like indoor sets but the tower itself could be very well cgi'd and everything yeah i've, I've, mm -hmm. I've thought about this a lot since i started reading this book these books like six seven years ago so when he gets to do battle he starts working for finn he uh also you know witnesses firsthand like the, like actual human trafficking like beyond the wife mongering uh like we said in the summary he arrives into new babel on a ship full of women who are like obviously there to go work in the brothels um possibly some by choice but mostly probably not just considering what we know of the tower yeah this is this this part there's a lot of like capitalism you know mm -hmm. stuff going on more so than what we see in the baths where everybody's just kind of relaxing minus like the little shopkeepers and stuff and uh the parlor which is you know just a giant play of sorts but i don't know so, so new babel though does seem to be a really miserable place which in a way though i think the whole tower has just been a tower of capitalism so far it's just that this is the floor first floor that acknowledges it like very much out in the open it's the first like, like clearly commerce driven floor. exactly because all the yeah. other floors are tourism driven but it's still you know it's still capitalism like it's still mm -hmm. right right like the baths in the parlor especially are very tourism driven but it's still very much like people are here to spend money and keep things going which brings me to the goddamn fires they finally talked about it they, you were hinting at it tara and i was like what's up with the fires there's something reported about the fires <laughs> well we and we only know his theory like and it's a good one but we don't actually know what happens even he even his theory is kind of it's still not you know totally formed right um yeah. you know and he he t he's telling iron about it uh and this is kind of late in part three honestly when he tells iron about it but you know it's basically like you know the tourists are asked to do these things that are powering something bigger 
people ride the bikes for the beer me go round. So he says like, they're probably pulling up water from underground, which, you know, that's probably, yeah, it's, it's like, okay, that works. Uh, you know, then on a parlor level, people are stoking the fires that's producing heat energy. That's also going somewhere being used for something. Uh, the baths are used to dispel the steam, you know, from the combination probably of the basement water and the parlor fires. Um, and then of course in, in New Babel, it's these like lightning nests where they're generating electricity. But yeah, it's, it's it, none of his, it's like his theories. It's like, yes, this is all connected. This is all definitely something to do with powering things in the tower, but it's not, it's not, a, it's not like fully formed. No part of it is fully yeah. formed. It's not fully formed. And quite honestly, when I read it, it, to me, it made not as, it was cool, but it didn't really make logical sense because of the scale. I mean, you, you well, couldn't... I think the scale makes perfect sense, though, because if you think about it, they have. He basically said that the Burmese were everywhere on yeah. mm -hmm. the, the floor. The what? Like, the the, the me go rounds. There's more than one of them. There's a whole bunch of them. Um, well, like I everywhere. know there are a bunch of them, but there we have to be so many. <laughs> I mean, but I think that's the whole point, though. Like the tower is obviously like immense like it's not well, i like know that's what i'm saying the the tower the the beer the beer me go rounds or whatever they were if they're pumping water to the tower i could see if they were pumping water just to the baths potentially but, to, no, but that's what the he tower is so much larger than that i can't Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. That's no, that's what he was saying. He, the the purpose of the beer bees wasn't to pump bad water to the top. The purpose was to pump water to the baths that is heated, and that heat is coming from the parlor because that creates a steam engine in the baths, mm -hmm. and the steam engine in the baths is then is then harness being harnessed to create mm -hmm. electricity in New Babel. The water New is Babel. going to the top. Yeah, yeah. So it's, it's, it's like one, it's like one piece at a time, all adding up, you know, um, and the top is the electricity that's generated at new Babel that they then use a little bit of it in new Babel, but they're making so much that he's like, it doesn't make sense. But so what he's saying though, is that since so little of that electricity is being used, the whole point of the bottom four floors is to generate that electricity for the rest of the tower. They're not pumping water to the top. They're not making the heat for the top. It's the electricity. And we also don't know, you know, where that ends, you know what I mean? Like, like, or, or where this ends, like the, there's electricity in New Babel, sure, but we don't know if that's the end all be all, or if there's, you know, more to it. And Senlin doesn't either, you know, that's kind of what, you know, what he's saying. Yeah. It's like, this is all a bigger, this is all a smaller part of something way larger, um, which I think is like, I don't know, it's good world building. You know, like even the first time I read this, I, the beer me go rounds, I, I didn't think anything of, but the, the stoking of the fires in the parlor and their obsession with it, like put like dinged, you know, in my head, like what's up with mm -hmm. this? There's something bigger here. The bads threw you off, like threw me off again. Um, mm -hmm. Because it's like, what could they possibly be doing? But that's also because I didn't, you know, put the two and two together. Like, wow, Sandlin, good for you. You finally thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's what he does. He's you finally, you finally thunked a thunk. <laughs> he, he, he thunked a thunk. He, he, he books void. He, he did his books. Um, yeah. Now, 
And this is like not on the same vein, but one of the things that I left out of the summary because I couldn't figure out a way to fit it in, but it is important to include, like to talk about, I think, because the that model of the tower that he finds, um, you know, and Adam's like, oh, it's just an aero model, you know, whatever, like, I guess a model for airships to use it's to know map. where to land, it's maybe. Model. It's, not a mo it's not a model, it's a map. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it, they call it a model because it's a 3D thing, right? It's it's a it's not like a flat piece of paper map. But, you know, Senlin notes that it's got like a whole bunch of different people have written on it. Um, only some of the levels are labeled. Uh, he does find the uh, Pelham City, which is where he thinks Maria is because of she's she got wife napped or whatever you want to call it by... Mr. Pell, Lord Pell, whatever the heck is, I don't, I can't remember what his title is, but his name, his last name is Pell, P-E-L-L. So yeah, uh, it's mysterious at this point, W-H Pell. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, 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 oh, the Count, the Count. Okay. That okay. was her name for him. She yeah, called him the Count. Yeah. Yeah. So he, but I, I, I just find the idea of like, that they've got these, and I'm, you know, assuming there's plenty like more than way more than one of these little models of the tower but that even you know even these models don't have every like even these models aren't complete there's there's things missing there's things not labeled there's whatever mm -hmm. which well, i find very interesting yeah it's interesting on a couple of levels too because in this like it's it's like adjacently related but you realize how like the the tower is super old and it's already like it's kind of implied in everything that the tower is super old, but you get a confirmation that it's like at least a hundred years old here because of the like guy pretending to be the painter and the real painter was here a hundred years ago. So this tower is clearly ancient. And if any like evidence of the current power struggles is like apparent, it's likely that like, you know, what each floor is changes due to power struggles and who's in control so the fact that certain floors are scratched out leads me to believe that like you know power struggles on these floors meant that like entire floors were kind of like inhospitable or like just in war at a time and it was like well it's no longer this kingdom who the fuck knows what's gonna happen <laughs> and like stuff like that and the fact that like this map essentially was like handed down through multiple people and then they all like put their edits on it it's like it's really cool. It's like a 3D version of like a regular old map. I want an arrow rod. I just want to <laughs> carve a stick. I just, I just want a cool stick. Maybe I'll go to the woods and get a stick tomorrow. <laughs> See how you're feeling. Yeah. Feeling. Might be a stick day. Part three is it's, it's, all over the place because you know Sandlin's doing this thing, then he's doing this thing, and I think every little bit of it is just like a little bit important, you know. At least um, him teaching Iron how to read, you know, like you said, you, we kind of originally assumed that that would put her on his side like immediately, but then you know she still like beats him when Finn asks her to. Now, granted, Senlin is like, yeah, I'm glad she did that. You know, he's glad she didn't hesitate because he doesn't want to, you know, he doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't want to be, he doesn't want Finn knowing what's going on. Doesn't want him, doesn't want him questioning anything deeper. Um, not that Iron really knows anything at that point, but, uh, 
gosh, it's, it's, it's another one of those, I, I still can't believe Senlin's plan came together at all, even though it was <laughs> sort of a mess in the end. That's, that's basically how his plans work, right? Yeah. Like they're, they're kind of formed, but not the best. And then they kind of happen and you're like, okay, it happened. And I, I mean, and, and this, you know, the red hand showing up and finding out that Adam has been just, Selling you out. yeah, you know, it's like Adam. It was one of those moments where I was like, I thought Senlin was the most naive, but despite everything, Adam kind of took the cake at that point. Cause I was like, you really thought that the evil commissioner was going to be the one like my dude, my dude. <laughs> Although that was a good moment too after because Sedlin was like, respect my authority. <laughs> Call me captain, bitch. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, stay aye, bud. <laughs> I'm the captain now. I'm still surprised that Sedlin like is keeping Adam with him at this point. Although oh, I'm not at all. That's not at all surprised. That's his character. I, I mean, surprised. I would have been incredibly surprised if he threw Adam away. I, if he did not well, let Adam come, I would have been like, "Who are you, Sedlin?" I mean, I would have too, really. But at the same time, as like as a as like a human being with half a brain, it's like, dude, why? <laughs> I mean, Sarah, but Sedlin has one brain cell. <laughs> but he also needs people to crew the ship. I mean, if if there's no Adam and there's no Valletta, we don't have enough people to run the ship. I don't know how much they're good Adam is with one eye. crew as it is. I feel like Adam's like the second most pirate of the crew be behind Edith. Like, he's got an eye patch. That's like yeah. legally <laughs> required for piracy. At least, yeah, at least one person on the crew has to have a missing mm -hmm. limb and one has to have an eye patch. They don't even have to be separate people, but it does have to. Nope. You need those pieces, though. Um, and, and speaking of missing limb, first of all, I, fi I find it weird that, you know, obviously we know that not the, the nurses who are branding people in the parlor aren't trained for this. They aren't doctors, whatever. But like, it just seems like why Edith of all people like this? It, it doesn't seem to be like Adam didn't have any problems. Like it doesn't seem to be super common for someone to end up with gangrene from the brand. But so, we don't know, do we? I, it, yeah. Like, we yeah. see a lot of people with the brands, or like we see Adam with the brand, and he's the only one that, like, he had that Senlin has like acknowledged and being like, oh, I recognize what the brand is because I saw that Adam had it. But with the exception of Adam and Edith, Senlin hasn't actually, like, I don't think he's like, clocked anybody else actually with it and everybody's well, he, so unfortunate well, in the well most people wouldn't because they wouldn't come yeah. back right yeah I mean, they're not allowed to yeah right they're I not allowed to come back to, have, to lose an entire arm over oh it makes perfect sense medically burn. speaking so i guess this is a good time to jump into the setting because this is a victorian steampunk setting obviously and in the victorian ages we had no fucking idea what we were doing so infection death limb loss 
all of that good old stuff is just very common. Anytime you do anything to the body, any sort of teensy cut, you can get infected and lose a limb because we just have no idea. And we have no idea what germs even are and how to stop him. And I mean, I, that, I, that I, I get, I know that, I you know, like no but... evidence of this steampunk world being medically developed enough to get that because all we've got so far is like weird quasi medical torture devices. And that's the opposite of medicine. <laughs> I don't know, man. I'm just saying, like pre-Victorian era, people branded cattle and 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 stuff all the time. I, 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 you know, I get that like cuts and everything can cause this, but it's 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 got to be kind of rare for a cauterized wound to again, you know that, fester so bad that you lose the entire limb. It's just very weird to me. I believe that it happened to Edith, you know, obviously because that's what we're told, but like. And there's nothing else that got that we know of that's gone on with her arm. Um, it just seems a little bit well, over the top. I don't know. I think it's perfectly on track for Victorian medicine, especially because, like you said, the nurses have no idea what they're doing. So if they're doing shit wrong, they've got no idea. And, you know, we don't ever see when somebody's branding, like, you know, livestock, their first couple attempts, because I'm guessing those probably don't go as well. I don't know. My sister and my brother-in-law have done it plenty without any problems. <laughs> I don't know. I'm not farm folk. <laughs> but also, like, you know, if if farming people do that all the time, like, I would suspect that they have some sort of, you know, education system in place of how to do it correctly and not fuck Called up. Called 4-H. Yeah. Uh, well, regardless, Edith has lost her arm, but she has this, like, really cool, like, mechanical one. Yeah, I mean, true, yeah. true. Well, I mean, I guess it's, is it bionic if it's- No, it's a steam. Because it's like steam powered, right? It's so it's not really bionic, it's like steam powered. But I mean, Guys, you can kind of call it bionic. Aesthetic. It's all steam, <laughs> all gears, all the time. Put a gear on it. And like, this isn't a spoiler, obviously, but like um, the cover art for the second book is like a close up of Edith's arm and it's freaking amazing. Like my friend Ian did the cover art for all these books and the close up of her arm is just, it's really good, it's really cool. Uh, this book really caused me a lot of like emotional distress costuming wise. Cause I was like, if I had to cosplay from this, who would I cosplay? Would I cosplay Edith or would I cosplay Valletta? Because, like, they're both described as, like, brown-skinned women with dark hair. And they're both, like, different aesthetics of epic. And I'm like, I have choice. <laughs> Man, and you, you have choices. And you have Scarecrow Senlin over here. Just, like, bland as all get out. And I love, I don't know if it's in this book or if it's in later books, but he does, like, describe himself sometimes and like the way he describes himself is like eh i'm whatever i'm i'm i don't think he calls himself ugly but he's he's just really like he spent yeah I'm, I'm not much to look at it's very funny he spent <laughs> the first couple parts basically describing himself as a skinny fish man so like i think of oh him my gosh. as as like a, a version of ichabod crane <laughs> yeah. I mean, gosh, honestly, he's from a seaside town. He never left it until now. Uh, he's a fish out of water, quote unquote. Is, is Semlin a secret mermaid? 
I, <laughs> my view of Ichabod Crane comes from growing up in Sleepy Hollow myself. Um, so I, I think of a very long, storkish character. I never thought of Stenlin that way in my mind. But He describes himself as very like thin and lanky, doesn't he? Yeah, when I hear lanky, I definitely think tall. Yeah. Like not super tall necessarily, but certainly lanky to me is yeah. tall. Yeah, and he describes himself. He call he says that people called him the sturgeon, which is a very skinny fish. And I was mm -hmm. just like, oh yes, skinny fish and a long one. A long skinny <laughs> fish man. Very yeah, sturgeon are very ugly too. A long skinny ugly fish man. <laughs> Poor Senlin. <laughs> oh, he's, he's still just trying his best, trying to teach Iron how to read. You know, like, oh, I also love how the chapters in part three start instead of with quotes from the the Everyman's Guide, they start with quotes from like his own journal mm -hmm. slash guide slash book whatever like is he trying is he trying to write his own book you know it's called he every is. man's tower one man's travails by t Semlin. it's just like oh Semlin. you're so <laughs> you're so good and pathetic and <laughs> what a dramatic academic <laughs> travails i mean he really does have travails though let's be real he does <laughs> Yeah, I mean, honestly, though, I think the funniest thing about this part, not funny as, like, LOL funny, but funny as, like, oh, wow, everything sucks. All I can do is laugh funny is the fact that somehow Senlin, out of Senlin-Edith-Adam trio, managed to get through with the least permanent disfigurement. Yeah. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, how did, how? He has zero brain. Zero <laughs> One brain. Well, he has a brain. He has it's so much brain. It's very focused on academic stuff. Yeah. One brain cell, and it's full of academia. <laughs> uh, so, gosh, I'm I'm kind of all over the place with like my notes on on this, um, just because like it has been almost a year since I reread this book. But the one thing that I almost spoiled for the last episode or sort of half spoiled was Ogier, uh, not really being Ogier, that the, the Ogier who gave Senlin the painting wasn't like, he, he's a fraud. Someone else painted that over a hundred years ago. And this guy uh, took his name, tried to mimic his style, you know, he he chose a studio over over a perfume shop so that everything would smell like what the original Ogier painted, um, and I you know it's part of me is like Dad, can we really trust what the commissioner is saying? But I think he's probably right about this. Like he's he seems pretty obsessed with this painting, so I feel like this is something he would know about. Um, so I don't know any any thoughts on that painter? You know, not being. Not being the real Ogier, that's not even his painting. Why is he obsessed with it if it's not even his painting? Well, it makes sense the key. Though, that it's not him. Because Senlin specifically notes that the like forgery that the fake Ogier makes like sucks, obviously, by comparison. Mm -hmm. And so I remember like noticing that and being like, huh, it's a bit odd that it's like actually 
bad because he was like describing the proportions of the girl and like how it's like dwarvish and not like correct and i remember just like noting that like as a sign and being like huh weird that he can't get proportions correct on like a human figure whatever okay so like well, and that he would have this, like, one masterpiece, and then all of his other things aren't even very good street art. Exactly. That, too. It's like, it was just kind of, the disconnect there was a bit, I was like, I get one person having a piece of amazing art and the rest just being okay, but, like, one yeah. person having a piece of amazing art and the rest being mockable shit street art? Like, <laughs> that doesn't, that doesn't quite... Sadly. Although the painting of Mario was good, though, wasn't it? Yeah, it was yeah. supposed to be. But he also right. spent like a week painting it, and usually he spends like I don't know how long he's spending painting most of his things. But it, it is noted that like he usually doesn't have people sit for him for that long. And well, that, that was the the um, full body specifically. The just the the torso portrait that Senlin has now was in one sitting, but it's also um, I I don't know that we can really be objective with Senlin's description of a portrait of his wife who he misses dearly. Because I feel like at this point it's just like Maria, my beautiful. I see her. I miss her. The painting is perfect, and it could have been a blob, <laughs> a vaguely Maria-shaped blob. I don't know if Senlin's like truly reliable. There. Who knows? <laughs> Who knows? Yes, he does yeah, have no. a Maria obsession. Um, Slightly. <laughs> but yeah, that whole thing was just like so weird because like for all his desperation for the painting he ends up giving it to Senlin and then imposter Ogier dies and then he gives Senlin a note that's also like this is the key to a tower and it's a picture of a girl and I'm like I've got no clue normally normally with stuff I can kind of hypothesize what it might be but how this miscellaneous painting of a of a child is a key to the top well, may, may, maybe the value I don't know and, man and that way you get you because you have it he can afford to get, go anywhere I mean that's what I that's I don't know or more likely it's important to someone on this journey he's going to meet other yeah, than the commissioner mm -hmm. And we'll and we'll open up opportunities for him. That's my guess. That's a good guess. My guess is just that giant floating question mark above my head. I got nothing. No I always figured it was something. There was something in the painting that's like like a hint or a key. I I really honestly don't know. Um, Ooh, that was always the perfume smell. Ooh, like a secret <laughs> secret message in the painting. The perfume smell. I don't know how that could possibly, unless it smells like a specific part of the tower. <laughs> I think it just smells like. I think maybe it just smells like that hideous perfume shop. <laughs> maybe there's a part of the tower that can only be unlocked by that one perfume smell. <laughs> I don't know. The other thing that 
and this kind of goes along with like somebody not being who you thought they were or whatever, Ogier being the person that we just talked about now. But, you know, then there's also Finn who pretended to be down on his luck in the basement. We find out he actually runs, you know, his own port. Um, and, and, and surprisingly has a wife and children and yeah. is like lovely with his wife and children and their little picturesque cottage that's like, set aside and it's it's very it's a very weird um I mean, did i read it right where it's like picture as cottage is surrounded by like an industrial area is that is that hard yep. that's how, mm -hmm. how i read it my mind. Yep, that's yeah. correct <laughs> yeah it's, it's it does have like some separation um like he has like a little bit of extra plot of land you and know, walls, yeah. yeah but you know so, so i think when you're in there you might not, you might not be able to see the city surrounding you, but it's it's very much like he he has created this little paradise for his wife and children, and of course, you know his goal in making this money is to get them out of the tower for good and everything. No, it wasn't to get out; it was to get up. Yep. Was it? I thought it was that he was. I, well, it's no, been a while again. I thought the, it was that he was trying to get out of the tower eventually. Um, no, no, he wanted to get out of the lower levels of the tower. He wanted to go up and live in like the good parts, but that requires mm -hmm. more I feel like money. I feel like he doesn't know yeah. anything. Like, I feel like if I was stuck in the tower, I would be like, look at all that land out there. I want to get the F out of here and go buy myself a little farm and never come back to this hell. <laughs> but Tara, Tara, you're logical. I think we've established that everybody in this tower is kind of batshit crazy. Well, okay, so so now I'm going to put you in a in a more real world perspective, which will insult people from certain areas. But if you, if you had a successful business in a lousy city, do you rush out to go to another city where you won't have a successful business? Not really. I mean, if you have enough money to set yourself up without needing to yeah, be running well, a successful You business. run your business till you retire to Florida, which would not yeah. be my choice, but that's what people seem to do. Well, retiring to Florida know. wouldn't be my choice either. <laughs> <laughs> well, you had that opportunity, right? You were in Florida for a while. Yeah, no, thank you. Never again. <laughs> Secret Cottage Core Finn, though, like that wasn't the, that wasn't what I expected. I wasn't expecting him to have his own like little cottage core hideout with his adorable children and his adorable wife. And it, it was just so weird. I was just so thrown. I was like, what is happening? And I feel bad for him a little bit, like a little bit. Like he's not a great yeah, person, yeah. but you know, at, at the end of this book, after they have the big, you know, fight on the dock or whatever, he's kind of, He's kind of lost a lot, I think, because don't they blow really? up the whole dock? <laughs> After everybody gets high, like, I think. I'm from. Which is, yeah, it, it's basically opium, as far as I can tell. Like, when they describe the drug den, that's, you know, it's similar enough to opium. And also, I think part of the... I don't think it has the same sort of reaction, though, to opium. Not exactly, I don't think, um, but 
don't the, know what drugs do, so the I've addiction. Neither do I. I've never taken one either. The addiction as the well the way the way they're the way they're taking it in in the drug den and also the addiction aspect to it is what screams opium to me. Even though the reaction to it might be like I mean I've never taken opium. <laughs> I mean, honestly, let's be real. How many people do you know these days who've actually taken actual just opium, straight opium? You know, is opium I mean? that's not... real anymore. Like, well, oh, oh like, yeah, yeah, but it's heroin. Okay, I was gonna say we don't. It's not like it doesn't exist as opium currently. It's like more refined. Well, it never did. I mean, opium dens were basically injecting heroin into people. We call it. Well, they smoke. They smoked it more and they often. They smoked it. Well, that was yeah. But yeah. Um, the more you know. Well, hey guys, I'm still doing better than my mother because for the longest time, my mother thought that weed and heroin were the same thing. <laughs> she was really alarmed by the casual um, usage of weed by teenagers for a very long time because she thought these teenagers were doing heroin, and I was like, "Mother, mother, even I know that's not." <laughs> Well, and that makes a lot more sense with the whole like craze around marijuana and why like it was demonized. If people thought that it was like heroin, sure, yeah. fine. No, that's not what the people in charge thought. The people in charge were like, "Hey, let's arrest people of color for drugs." So that's, yeah, that's, that's facts. That's, <laughs> that's facts, Nami. Yeah. But, well, I mean that—that's true with most drugs. I'm trying to. Not being around when marijuana became popular in the sixties, I always thought that was more of a Caucasian drug to begin with. I mean, it it's was only, marijuana. Marijuana is only a Caucasian drug now because now that but we it was in the sixties too, wasn't it? When all the well, hippies were doing yes, it? but 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 white people weren't arrested for it. Right, That's yeah. a significant difference. It's the not that it, that was, one group was using it more than another group it's that one group was prosecuted for it more than yeah, another well, that's, group. and yeah. the reason it is classified as a like a level one or category one drug incorrectly which i might add because it is not that bad mm -hmm. is because it made it easier to prosecute people of color mm -hmm. for its usage yeah. and thus it is seen as a rich white person thing just as you think about it like a crack house is basically just the POC version of like a fancy drug party in a giant cabana, except which one's stigmatized more. There's definitely an equivalent amount of heroin use and drug use in those fancy rich people parties, but they're not called crack houses because they're fancy rich white people. Crumb is kind of used like opium, I think, right. and it's to and we'll come full circle. Exactly. <laughs> All right. Now, now that we've come full circle, next, next topic. The fact that crumb isn't actively in their medications means that they're actually doing better than the 1800s because we used to give That's people true. opium as medicine. I mean, I guess we don't necessarily well, we know. Still do, though. As, as a point, it was effective. So. Oh my God. Actually. This reminds me, right after my elbow surgery, I was given opiates and I took it the first night and except I took it at like 3 a.m. because I woke up in pain and my mom was like, you should take it. So then I woke up the next morning and I was still high and it was really weird and I hated it and then I never took it again. 
that's my fun story. Heroin and morphine are very similar chemically, so yeah, exactly. So that's why that's why medically painkillers it's such like a regulated opiates thingamajiggy, but uh, unregulated. <laughs> We're going in the 18th century when we were just like, here you go, bottle of opium mixed with some whiskey, medicine. And Coca Cola's original formula had cocaine in it. So, yes, it did. Well, back in time. Yeah, or to not. the days. Here's good. So, uh,. As a, you know, so, so Sendlin gets high off the crumb at the beginning of part three, and then it comes full circle in the end uh, when they have this giant, you know, shipboard fight where they, where the crate of crumb is broken open and everyone is just like, woo, yeah, like, now we're going to fight like this. The fact that they escape at all is like cool good for them how you know like it just all seems like a mess and the right like, like the commissioner's there and and how is this possibly going to work out for them uh rodian really kind of helps them more than anything because he storms onto the ship i think coming he, he sh i know he shoots the pirate captain right yes, billy lee because I can't remember exactly why though. I think it's something to do with like, maybe he thinks Billy Lee is stealing Valida or maybe it's just like, I don't even know. It's, it's a lot of like, what is this guy? This guy Rodian is just, he's a little off his rocker. Well, the thing uh, with Rodian too is that he actually did, he actually was originally hurting the cause because originally they were all just supposed to be calmly on the port with none of their luggage. But mm -hmm. Rodian is just like, hey, let's go shoot people. So he started to fuck it up. But then other people came and fucked it up differently. And then ultimately, <laughs> they tried to open the crate that was supposed to have the painting. But Sedlin was like, what if I booby trap it? And I thought it was going to explode. But no, no. He booby traps it with drugs. I'm not sure that was actually the greatest idea. No, it was not. <laughs> because air, circulation... <laughs> Well, and I think though he he expected that he would be able to that he would have enough think, warning to I don't like think that he thought that the crate was going to be on the ground with yep. the crew and all those people, and he was going to be on the boat. Mm -hmm. with the yeah. People. So he thought he was going to be nowhere near the crate. But the whole thing, the reason I'm hashing mm -hmm. this out though, is because there's the part where the red hand gets like a face full of crumb, and he's like tripping balls and he's acting like a child and i just want to know what was up with that but we're Dude, never gonna find out what was up with that because he just got accidentally yeeted by Eden. the red hand was he is a weird creepy character mm -hmm. like the way he is described um you know the, i i believe he's he's described in in the baths right because he's mm -hmm. there for the execution mm -hmm. so we know like what he we know what he looks like and everything also, um, like, extra creepy because there's a portion like when Sen when Senlin like shoots at him when he's first ambushed in his room he like notes that the red hand smells like formaldehyde and then like nothing really seems to kill him so the whole time I'm thinking that he's already dead like like I think he's somehow a reanimated corpse and that's my hypothesis and I stand by that 
Listen, it's it could it's work. Punk, which could go in line with Victor Frankenstein esque creations. So that is that's my plot, and I'm sticking to it. And we don't know what the red goop is. The glowy red group, anything that glows, I don't know. Maybe I don't know. He smells like formaldehyde. That's so fucking yeah. suspicious. I think either I think he might have been like on like the brink of death and like I don't know. I don't know. So weird. It is he's one of those characters where it's like I'm kinda it's like I'm glad he I'm glad he's gone, but also not because I would have liked to have known and, and I guess there's still a chance that we'll learn more about him from other characters from I don't know, the commissioner comes right. back around, whatever, okay. but so I haven't touched book two yet, but here is my here are my guesses, right? First off, it's got Edith's arm front and center. It's called Arm of the Sphinx. I don't know what's happening with the Sphinx, but it's got something to do with Edith. I'm best I'm betting that's like her debt or something is tied to that. And like the weird way that like the red hand was calling her sister makes me think that she's indebted mm -hmm. to the same person that he is because they're using the same type of energy with those red capsules that he stabs himself with and that she puts in her arm. So I think there's a connection there. And I think, you know, good riddance that the red hand is dead because no, too creepy, but I think we're still gonna get answers about him because I think yeah. the red hand is going to be Edith focused and we're gonna get some answers about her arm. Because why else would the arm be on the cover? We also, do we actually know that the red hand is dead? Like no. I know he gets thrown yeah. overboard. Yeah. We don't see him yeah. die. He was I, we, we learned, we learned, <laughs> if it didn't happen on screen, it yeah. might not be true. Yeah, we, we've learned that but a lot of times. Even when it does happen on screen, it sometimes isn't true. Yeah. Yeah, that's also true. Sometimes even if it's on screen, it's not true. Well, I mean, and, and at, at the very end, too, when they escape, like, you know, Iron is is critically injured as well. Uh, but I don't, you know, we don't know that she's dead. I guess, you know, we don't for sure know that the Red Hand is dead, though I think his death is more likely than even Iron's just because. No, I think Iron is. No, Iron Iren is, uh, it recovers because it, in the epilogue, it talks about her. Oh, it does. Okay. Like, I, I, I didn't want to spoil anything. It's like, I knew she's still alive, but I didn't want to spoil anything. And I, I couldn't remember at the, the very end. No, of the book. he talks about her recovering in the epilogue. Okay. Okay. Well, that's th th thank you for that because I'm sitting over here like I know she's alive, but I don't want to say anything and spoil <laughs> something in case it's like cause, you know, thinking about it. In case it comes back, in case, you know, in case like the the her recovery was at the beginning of the second book, you know. <laughs> but we we do suspect though that the red hand and and Edith got their powers from the same place. Oh yeah, I mean yeah, I think that's like just because that's like Nami was saying they both use the same you know thing. They use the same resource, uh, and he calls her sister. And the only yeah. re we know that the only reason that we can say for sure that he that he was dropped is because her hand ran out of power. Because we right. don't actually know that she would have dropped him otherwise. Yeah. yeah. And Senlin's like, oh, she totally would have dropped him. And we're all like, would she though? I don't know. He's really creepy. <laughs> oh, yeah. 100%. But he was clearly making an argument to her that she was like hearing. Yeah. Yeah, like she was clearly thinking, like I don't know, maybe I shouldn't be doing this. Yeah, yes. maybe I'll get in trouble. Stop negotiating. It was suspicious enough. Valletta. Yeah. 
Yeah, she's a yeah. uh, she, she's she, has, she has she doesn't have as much like you know she she doesn't have as much page time um as like Adam or e or Iron or even Edith I think because most of the time she's doing her acrobat thing in Rodian's brothel uh but yeah she's she's great I. <sighs> I think that Adam Adam is like I I need to like save my sister I need to save my sister but really I think like he's the he's the problem like she can kind of take care of herself mm -hmm. she's been doing it so far you know uh, I I for sure think that it's Rodian hasn't only held back from selling her off because of Adam you know uh, yeah, no I am I am very much team like I hope we get Valetta's POV soon because she's gonna be out there and she's gonna be like. Yeah, I just let Adam think he was doing shit, but actually I had it all under control. Like, I mean, you see that in their relationship from the beginning, like when, when Adam is telling the story of how they came to the tower, when he's like going to go off and like go on his own and Valida's just like, yeah, no, I'm going with you. No, you're not. Yeah, like, sorry, not sorry. <laughs> Listen, yeah, you dumb like, boy. He's like, I got off the train and I became a man. And Valetta's like, and I got off the train and I adopted my twin brother because he's a fucking child. <laughs> yep. I immediately had to, stay to start taking care of him. <laughs> I mean, honestly, if she if she had been, if he had, if he had like, I don't know, asked her opinion or any anything uh, before yeah, signing I, that original yeah. contract, like maybe yeah. he wouldn't be this deep in this mess. Like, <laughs> Seems like, seems like Adam doing things on his own without. He's not very. He's not very good at it. Men are less, dumb and less, they don't less, respect them. Less smart yes. than Senlin, even possibly. Yeah, it's kind of great. They're like dumb in different ways, but still so so dumb. <laughs> also, <laughs> I like. I, this brings me back to the setting as well, just because, like, I wanted to take a moment to touch on this, because, like, you know, it. this is obviously, like, a very, like, Victorian steampunk story. Like, it's it's steampunk. That is, that's what the setting is. And whenever you get that setting, though, it's always European. It's always, like, typically English or, like, Parisian. And maybe, maybe the rare Spanish, if you're, no, not even. They don't even go to Spain. And, like, mm -hmm. so, like, having that but having all like the biblical influence which means that this is set in the middle east and like all of that meaning that you actually get like main character like almost every single person in like the main story is like not a white person which is wild and you have like so many like beautiful women characters who are described as having dark hair and every single time a beautiful woman character comes up. I'm always like, and she's gonna be blonde. <laughs> and then she and then she was literally never blonde. And I was like, what? I don't what? think there, there is I don't think there are one, any white characters, are there? There is one blonde character in the story so far, and that's like the oh, one woman. The woman who ratted him out. Yeah, who like tries to uh blackmail him. Yeah. Wasn't there a redhead also? But Maria's a redhead. Yeah. So Maria's yeah. a redhead. 
So, like, but the thing is, though, that, like, you know from the story that, like, Senlin and Maria have traveled to come to the tower. Mm -hmm. So you don't actually know how far away they are. So, like, obviously the thing with the tower is that people do travel to go there. So there are presumably people from around the world there. And, you know, there's also, even though they haven't explicitly, like, you know, described characters as East Asian, but there have been descriptions of East Asian clothing and Asian Mm -hmm. clothing and different ethnic clothing in the story so far but like the fact that the actual like center of the like story is set in the middle east in a steampunk story is just so <laughs> wild to me and i'm just like yes here well, for the vibes uh selen and maria when they come by train they're on the train for days possibly a week it might even be longer okay. but it's it's definitely days because he talks about it being like their honeymoon period hey okay because like it was so funny to me because like maria's described as a redhead and i'm like all right loads of white people great and then from that point on literally no the just no other character description red is white to me which was wild i think iron is the only one i'm not sure of only because i don't i know she has like gray or like silver hair i don't know if it means silver blonde or like silver as in it's gray i think it's she's older so it's gray yeah uh, but Byron was so busy describing her as big and buff yeah that they, that they didn't do any other description she's yet. she's she's louisa but old <laughs> louisa <laughs> from encanto <but> <laughs> yes i was just trying to look to see if there's like a wiki for the series that i'll be can... really careful though uh because like i googled the red hand a minute ago and it like i opened up like a reddit post and it was spoilery if you have not oh, gotten no. past the okay, first book so yeah be really very, there's very little about the series on the internet which i love uh for some for some reasons but it means that what little there is it's mm-hmm. a lot easier to get spoiled because it's like front and center. Like, do not go to the Reddit. I, it looks like they're okay about spoiler warnings, prob- probably, possibly, but there's a lot of posts about the most recent book in there. And it's like, I haven't read that one yet. I've been, you know, waiting because I, I really want to experience it, you know, for the first time for this webcast. And yeah, it's like, I don't want to be spoiled by this. Like, I would love to participate in the, the subreddit for this series and like, you know, maybe plug this webcast there, but I don't want to be spoiled. <laughs> So, yeah, I mean, I know Nami uh, last week was going off about there not being summaries. There are summaries if you look hard enough, but, uh, you know, like, if you really want to be spoiled, I guess spoil yourself, but... I have it's, not it's, looked hard enough. Nami oh, loves spoilers! Yeah. <laughs> Although I did find this really, really cool art of this scene where Edith is dangling the red hand, and it is fire it is so good um yeah. i found it by googling uh senlin ascends edith and it was like in the images but again beware although i saw that i saw that art too uh i think edith is like skinnier there than i would have expected like i expect where, her like where are these oh pictures? that is awesome right? if you if you google um senlin ascends like, edith yeah, or, or Red Hand, even. I think it's no, probably going to come up. Edith. Um, okay. I didn't yeah, Simlin Ascends so Edith, and it's like the first image. Yeah, I can't promise that if you Google Red Hand that it's spoiler free. True, true. But I know that Edith Google is spoiler free. If you go directly to images, don't read. Um, <laughs> yeah, don't read anything. <laughs> there's, also a, 
illustration of her and Senlin in the cage. Yeah. But yeah, no, I will say that depiction of Edith is skinnier than I expected, but also does make sense because she's kind of been living not great for a bit. I mostly just picture her as like, you know, hearty farm girl build. So like, even if she's lost weight, I don't, you know, I still don't picture like a slim, slim person. Like there's a difference between a person who's just skinny and a person who has like a hearty build and has lost weight. girl. Yeah. I don't know that there were any other specific points that I wanted to bring up but did you guys have we have we missed anything uh that you wanted to talk about with part three because this you know even though a whole lot happens in this part it's you know it, it is still like not quite half the length of the book it's not like it's short or whatever but it's about like 45 percent of the book it yeah but it mostly just seems like it's a lot of fast it, it goes it goes between Pages describing Senlin and his bookkeeping, pages and pages and pages. I mean, not not Temer or travelogue bad, but you know. God, <laughs> in here. I thought um, I, I didn't think it was anything like Temer. No, 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 no. That's what I'm no, that's what I'm saying. It's not like that, but it goes from, like action whiplash because so much stuff is happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The opposite of Temeraire, in which seventy pages of Australian outback adventures. <laughs> But honestly, I'm good to end it here because this means that I can start reading book two because I didn't start it yet because I was like, you can't. You're just going to start talking everywhere about it. I did open it and I did look at the map because mm. I do like me a good map. Yes, same. I like, I mean, I like a good map that actually shows you like, I don't know, like detail. You know what I mean? Um, not not just a generic, not just a generic, like, here's here's a blob, and, like, here's this place, this place, and this place. Like, I, that was my biggest issue mm -hmm. with the maps for the Grishaverse books, like, the earlier ones mainly, is that it was basically, like, here's a blob with, a, like, three names on it, and this is all you get. Uh, they got better, I think, as time went by, but in the beginning, it was kind of big. I like all maps, detailed, non-detailed, as long as they're existent. I just, <laughs> I just think they're neat. <laughs> Yeah. It's it's it, it puts an extra shine on like fantasy literature or, or sci-fi literature. Even if your map is just an engraved stick, I still like it. <laughs> I mean, I think that's that's a cool that's a cool ass I like. Map. I want it. Could you imagine that as like a cosplay prop, like putting the amount of time into actually engraving some sort of like? How would you even do it? Would you make it? I can't even think about this. It's too much. It's too much. Actually, I already have a plan for how I would do that. <laughs> of course. You do. We're good to go. Put a pit in it until uh, two weeks from now. That's Wednesday, February 2nd, which is when we'll do parts one and two of Arm of the Sphinx. And the, the, the first three books, at least, and I'm assuming slash opening book four is the same. It's, you know, parts one and two are about as long as part three, you know, maybe a little bit mm -hmm. longer, um, which is weird, but also makes it easy for us, I guess. So, uh, so yeah, in two weeks from now, we'll be covering parts one and two of Arm of the Sinks. Once again, I'm Tara, along with Nick, Jonathan, and Nami. Thank you for joining us for Sags and Sass, and we will see you next time.
Thank you for listening to the Sagas and Sass podcast. Follow us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter at Sagas and Sass.